Hello, everyone. You're tuned into 90.7 FM KALX Berkeley. I'm your host, Daniela Lake, and this is The Graduates, the interview talk show where we speak to UC Berkeley graduate students about their work here on campus and around the world. Today, I'm joined by Caleb Dawson from the Department of Education. Welcome to the show, Caleb. Thank you, Danielle. I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. So, Caleb, why don't you tell us what exactly are you studying within the field of education? Like you mentioned, I'm, I'm doing a PhD um, and it's at the Graduate School of Education. And um, within that, there's a cluster or a program called Critical Studies of Race, Class and Gender. We study issues of power and social change um, generally and think about schools in a lot of different ways or education really broadly. Um, also think about the role of you know, educational institutions in society. In my case, my work is about higher education. It's about um, anti-Blackness and pro-Black social action in, in higher education, specifically at UC Berkeley. So I look at the ways that people um, experience and make sense of, sense of anti-Blackness at Cal and also how Black people organize to contest it and try to address the problems that are facing them. Also just try to, to minimize and mitigate the suffering that people experience because of anti-Blackness. And when did you first become interested in studying anti-Blackness? Yeah, I would say that interest really developed at Cal. Um, I think beforehand I was interested more generally in studying racism and studying like racial oppression, um, the ways in which it's gendered and yeah, I think that was like already an interest in towards the end of high school and especially in college. Um, but then as I got to Cal, I think I there's a number of factors. One was that I was studying with a with a professor, Michael Dumas, who um, has a really sharp and and brilliant analysis of anti-blackness and the black suffering. And so that really helped me think more specifically about how anti-Blackness is, is different, for example, than studying racism generally or studying white supremacy or studying even or the ways that racism is, is racialized with respect to other groups. But yeah, that was that was a big thing for me to influence of Michael J. Dumas. And then I think also being at Cal, like it's not just the professors and the scholarship, but you know, black people are, are really specifically talking about anti-blackness. And so um, I think getting to be immersed in the black community at Cal, it also drew my attention to think and try to understand better what, what exactly anti-Blackness is, um, and specifically in the context of, of UC Berkeley. Well, since you're studying the, the school that you're at and that you form community in, what have been some of the challenges with that? You know, um, learning more things about the campus history. Has it been a struggle for you sometimes? You know, it is one. I mean, even just studying anti-blackness in itself, like that can be challenging because it's something that's so familiar that it, um, it takes some part of the work of social science at times or of, of research can be making those things that are familiar, unfamiliar um, and, and not and trying not to take for granted the meanings of it. And so, you know, there might be in interviews, let's say times when I can appreciate and understand what someone's saying, but I still need I still in need and invite them to try to help me understand and explain it with me. Because, you know, there might be this this look or this like all these even nonverbal ways that we we know what we're talking about or a look, you know, and I, I always try to unpack that as much as possible and not take for granted, like assumed understanding, um, but try to articulate it as much as possible. So studying anti-blackness in the sense that it's something so familiar can be tricky. And then studying it at Cal, like some of the challenges of that is that I'm I'm so immersed in it myself. And while I don't have the, some of the same experiences of 
all black people on campus with anti-blackness. It's it's something that's very immediate to me. And I have to decide, I have to try to set up some boundaries around um, when my research hat is on and what I'm studying and when I'm taking notes and when I'm trying to really be systematic about studying anti-blackness and other times when I'm not going to do certain research practices with every single thing that I experience or every single thing that I hear. Like some people, for example, there's an author named Christina Sharp and she talks about anti-blackness as a totality. It's like this entire climate. And so if you're always moving through it, it can just be demanding. If it's something that's all that's ever present and everywhere, it can be really demanding to always be on. So I think, yeah, one of the things I have to be intentional about is setting boundaries about when I'm on as a scholar and as a someone studying it. And when I'm just going to close my Zoom, close my computer for the day and transition my headspace and my heart into to other uh, spaces, let's say. Speaking of like setting boundaries and also kind of finding ways to cope, what have you discovered have been ways for the Black community to cope and Black students on campus facing anti-Blackness? There's something about talking to people that is so simple, but so helpful and cathartic, especially talking with other folk who, with whom um, there is a, a built sense of trust. In some ways we assume and, and kind of give people the benefit of the doubt, let's say within the Black community that, um, that you can talk with other Black folk and people will take you seriously and people will empathize with you and, and share their own stories and their own narratives. And I think that's something that, you know, when I'm feeling like I'm going, I'm going crazy, let's say with like, oh my gosh, did that really just happen? Like when I'm just feeling jarred and caught off guard, but also I know what just happened. I think, yeah, finding people with whom I can just talk about it with and people who understand rather than being questioned because, right, yeah, the, the problem is one thing, but then sometimes how people relate to you dealing with that problem can present new problems. And that's part of my, what, my, what my dissertation is about, beyond even the ways that people experience anti-Blackness in one instance, how people try to respond to it and what their challenges and supports they experience as they do that. So for me, it's, it's all the ways that other people show up for me and affirm me and uh, remind me that I'm not crazy and that like, they can't you know, vouch for it. That, that, that is one thing that I'd say, one of many things that means a lot. And, you know, there's practices of Black joy. There's, uh, for me, moving my body is a big part of that. So whether it's like jump roping or dancing or even my commute, just like not letting myself be too stationary because I think through movement, I just, I feel more like myself and feel more connected with with what's going on in my body. Because often, yeah, anti-Blackness is something we experience in our bodies. It's not just something that we register with our minds or with our intellect. So. So what has been your research process and methodology? Generally, my research is is qualitative. I'm most interested in like interviews and observations specifically. Um, I've spent most of the time during my graduate studies interviewing people and I'm now at this stage of my dissertation transitioning more to do more and more observations. By interviews, that's spending time talking to Black undergrad, Black grad students, staff, faculty, administrators, trying to just get their insight and their take on things. And I love, I love interviewing because it presents an opportunity for me to talk to, like to work with other people to, to answer the questions that I'm thinking about um, rather than me just being shut up in a room, trying to figure everything out myself. I love asking people the questions that I'm really interested in, in getting answers to. And that's probably the main way that I've, I've done data collection. Part of that is storytelling and getting a sense of what happened and how people responded. And, and yeah, just kind of getting a, a an account of things. 
Um, but it's often also about sense-making and what people are feeling and how people are strategizing, right? Because even while, like, let's say someone, a single action that someone does, there's multiple ways that people can make sense of why they're doing what they're doing and what the usefulness of it is. And some people may be quick to critique someone's actions, but you may not understand why they're doing what they're doing. So for example, one thing that comes up that I've spent a lot of time researching is about trauma and how people still tell stories about racial trauma. And sometimes people ask like, why, why would you tell that story? Like that's so personal, so hurtful. And we can easily dismiss people's practices without actually asking people like why they're doing that. So one of the things I did during my research is spent a lot of time talking to people why, why they share their experience, why they talk about their experiences of anti-Blackness, um, especially to administrators. And through that, I think I've got, yeah, got some findings about uh, why, why people see trauma as useful to talk about, um, like what the uses of it are, but also how people make sense of the risks and the costs of talking about trauma. So interviews is a big thing for me. Observation, so going to events and going to trying to, not only events, but some of the behind the scenes things. So like, what does it take to put on that event? Or what does it take to come up with those list of demands or you know, host that meeting with that administrator? Um, so observations and just getting to observe the same things that people are talking about in some ways, but see it for myself. Um, and then I'm also interested, another thing that a big thing for me is some archival research. So paying attention to documents and official correspondence. How do, how do the university, especially in statement and in written form, respond to what Black people are doing, but also how does the university frame its relationship to the things that Black people are doing? Is it supportive? Is it uh, skeptical? Is it like over-identifying and taking credit for like, yeah, we've been champions of this when at times they've acted behind the scenes, it seemed more confrontational or ambivalent. So interviews, observations, and then some archival research. What have been some of your most surprising findings? One thing that has surprised me is, or just, I don't know if it surprised me because in some ways, if I, as I think about it, I'm like, actually, I shouldn't be surprised by that. It's about the, the different ways that, that Black folk experience anti-Blackness and how, the different ways that people feel protected or empowered to address anti-Blackness. And when I, when I'm, one of the main differences that I'm talking about is in terms of like organizational status or group, group status. So um, the experiences of undergrads versus grads, staff, faculty, administrators, there's some ways that Black folk across campus are like, yeah, I don't get to be a full member of this institution. My experience is subordinated to others in, in really significant ways. And I'm not free to, to get to enjoy the normal experiences of a student or the normal experiences of what it means to be a faculty member or a staff or administrator, right? There's these different ways that Black folks' experiences is undermined because of how people relate to Black people. I think for me, what's, what's really interesting is some of the differences in how people, yeah, feel risks to address that or um, feel empowered to. So for example, um, right, there's been some listening sessions about anti-Blackness. And in those, right, this is about the experience of anti-Blackness at Cal. And it's about all Black people at Cal, undergrad, grad staff, faculty, administrators, et cetera. But often staff in particular don't feel like that's a safe venue for them to like raise their concerns about anti-Blackness in part because while grad students and undergrads may see administrators as administrators, staff also see them as their employers and their supervisors. And right, and that's, and it's different how you have to navigate raising a grievance to your supervisor and someone who is determining your employment than 
someone who is in a, in a sense responsible for you having a positive experience. Administrator, like your supervisor is at the same time, but there's just a different power dynamic of speaking truth to your employer versus, and, and it's not just your employer, but it's in some cases your boss's boss's boss, right? And that administrator may still be at, at that level with respect to students, but it's just a very different dynamic. And so um, that's one of the things that's really important to me in my project, trying to un uncover the different challenges that Black people experience as they try to address this, this, shared, this shared problem of anti-Blackness. And I think I really, that's one thing I, I care a lot about trying to not only understand these experiences, but also see how, how people can have pathways to addressing anti-Blackness that are, are not causing further harm. Yeah. That's something that feels that's really important to me. And I, I think a lot about staff members and some of their vulnerabilities and risks to, to organizing against anti-Blackness at Cal. Mm -hmm. So tell us more about the lens you're looking at it through, because um, you're looking at it through, there's some like feminist theory in there, right? Um, so who have been some of your inspirations? And yeah, what, what lens are you <laughs> looking at all of this through? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there, first I wanna give a shout out to uh, Michael J. Dumas, who I previously mentioned. Um, Dr. Dumas uh, was my first advisor when I came to Cal and his work is about black, one part of his work is about black suffering. And one way that he introduces that is like, it's the felt life of all the attacks on black people and blackness. It's not just that there's racism and anti-black racism where black people are treated as less than human or black people are seen as a problem for society, whether that means that black people are criminal or slowing down the educational project, right? Black people need all this remedial education and they're, they're, they're not qualified or, or they're not competent, whatever, all those different ways. It's not just that there are these antagonisms with black people and blackness, but that, that people actually experience and feel those things. Like there's, there's a felt life to it. And so, um, yeah, Black suffering as a way to talk about not just the, the violence and the violation, but Black people's experience of that um, is a really important starting point for me. Right there, even staying with the, like how people experience harm. One thing that comes up in the literature and, and a gendered phenomenon in the literature is, is how one of the primary responses for Black women is anger. And there are some concerns certainly about people critiquing or people, people getting caught up with like, oh, angry Black women and, and stereotypes about that. But there are also Black feminists who've taught us a lot about the uses of anger. And Audre Lorde is one of them. Um, and Audre Lorde invites us to, to not uh, discard the ways that we feel and the ways that we're experiencing things, but to see how that can be used constructively in our politics. And one, like we should all be angered by treating people as less than human. Like, why is that not the model and the norm? And then from that, we shouldn't be denying our our experience and our truth, but seeing how we can work from that. And yeah, so in even, even just that shout out to Audre Lorde and thinking about um, uh, the uses of anger, like is, is one way that I see black feminism in my work. Um, but it's also to recognize that there's these paradoxes, right? We have, we experience both inclusion and access in this institution and we experience harm and violation. And I think black feminism has been really good at understanding those both ands both and is something that Patricia Hill Collins talks about in Black Feminist Thought. Um, and the both and often or like immediately for Black feminism has been to be 
to be black and, and to be woman, right? That we need to think about these multiplicities of relations, that it's not only race or gender, but it's, it's both and at the same time. For me, one of the both ends that black feminists have also talked about is how those places of refuge can also be a place of harm, right? Black women have talked about um, the home place or Bell Hooks talks about the home place as a site of, of resistance and of, of kind of patriarchal subordination. So for me, finding ways to hold that black people are both experiencing unprecedented opportunity Right, we're at an elite public university that's one of the most well-resourced and um, prestigious institutions in the world. And at the same time, there's a particular way that anti-blackness really undermines that experience. And so, black feminism helps me understand them both, and helps me appreciate the felt life of of living in this world, and really be concerned and committed to activism. Right, black feminism is also really an activist project, and it's not about understanding the world disconnected from it, but really being grounded in the heart of it and seeing what we can do to to care for people in the wake of harm. So yeah, those are two things. And then I'll add one one footnote. Michael Dumas has, has been, in a lot of ways, influenced by Afro-pessimism. And Afro-pessimism is this uh, kind of school of thought, in a way, or, or tradition of thinking about Blackness and, um, as thoroughly racialized by chattel slavery, that when we think about Blackness, there's there's just this image and history of slavery that haunts that that racialization and so when we to understand blackness today we still they argue that we still really need to keep a study of of slavery and its afterlife at the forefront of our of our understanding so things like being seeing black people as not just less human but as not human but as as property and as objects that are for consumption or for whatever you want it to be and all the sort of ways that disrespect gets kind of enmeshed in that and dehumanization and whatnot. So anyway, Michael Dumas, Black suffering, Afro-pessimists and their understanding of what anti-Blackness is and how it's related to chattel slavery and then Black feminists. I could also say a lot about sociology because that's uh, kind of the discipline that I was that I was trained in a bit. And I'm kind of sociologically adjacent. Like sociology makes a lot of sense to me in some ways. And then there's some limits that I try to use these other, these other ways of thinking and these other traditions of of knowledge production in order to challenge and build from sociology's insights about racialized organizations, about care work and emotional labor. So sociology is another is another school of thought that I'm that I'm pretty versed in. Yes, I find sociology super interesting, you know, the social construction of race and gender. I wanted to ask you, when it comes to anti-blackness in higher education, what are some things you think the general public should be aware of that they may not know or think about at all? Okay, that is a great question. So I think when we think, I think when people, if we're talking about anti-Blackness in higher ed, the problem, the challenge is that there's so many, so many places to study the problem. Um, We can study in terms of access. We can study it in terms of the ways that people are weeded out or not. Like there's even a study recently in the past year or two that when Black students, like, in their communication with admissions officers kind of suggest that they're highly political and, like, have an activist orientation, that those folk are more ignored in the application process than folk who, like, don't signal those same things, right? Like, there's some, I mean, there's that, there's, you know, the the historical racism of standardized tests and the ways that that's linked to eugenics. There's, there's so many, so many, so many stages 
to write the pipeline of like what majors do people get to choose, have access to like where black people are respected and taken seriously as intellectuals and educated people the job markets and like there's just so many so many so many so many things um and often i think when we think about anti-blackness we think about undergraduate students and that is certainly important and i also and this is something that i'm trying to do in my work expand our understanding of a black campus community member to exceed undergraduate students to think about graduate students staff faculty and administrators because there's just black folk across the board are experiencing anti-blackness and there's ways that we're not organizing comprehensively to address those things like you know for example students we understand that students need resource centers and spaces and it's like okay if someone's a staff member where can they go you know or black students for example want more faculty um, black faculty on their campuses because they're having a negative experience in the department. If what about a black professor to come in in that same department, you know, like their colleagues and the people that are evaluating them and are supposed to be supporting them are the same people in some instances that are causing problems for undergraduate students. And so like often we often black students are seen as the the central focus and we try to involve other people and I don't think we often think about how those other people are also black folk who are also enmeshed in these problems and need to be considered when we think about addressing anti-blackness. I'd also say, so in addition to thinking beyond students and thinking more broadly about the black campus population, we also need to think more broadly about how universities aren't just educational institutions or organizations that affect people within the institution. They also affect people beyond the institution, right? There's so many people who do this work well, but um, Devarian Baldwin recently has this book called In the Shadow of the Ivory Tower. And he talks about how, highlights how universities are not only these educational institutions, they are employers, right? There are thousands and thousands of of folk in the Bay Area that are employed by University of California, um, Berkeley, but also the the University of California system is one of the largest employers in the state. So we need to think about the university not only as this, let's say, educational institution, but it's a side of employment, it's a landlord, how many people are housed in university housing, and not only in terms of people like students and staff and faculty who are in university housing, but University owns tons and tons of property. And that's not just University of California, that's across the board, like real estate. Universities are huge sites of real estate. And so when you think about issues of gentrification, in large part, I mean, this was even something that was invited up about UC Berkeley. Um, UC Berkeley was increasing their enrollment in part to make sure that they can cover cost of, of teaching folk, right? We're gonna need to increase the campus to bring in more tuition revenue. But their way of doing that far out exceeded the like the availability of housing and that contributed to gentrification and the pushing out of people beyond the campus. And so we, we've we talked, like people think about anti-Black, gentrification as something that's anti-Black and it is, and universities are also in, in many instances implicated in that. So anyway, there's there's so many roles beyond, oh, also policing, right? So many, uni- so many institutions have their own policing agencies and it's not only about making sure that people on campus don't harm each other, but it's also about policing the areas and making sure that the property is continues to be a good side of investment. The very involved gets to this so well in his book and has a talk with uh, scholars for social justice with um, Roderick Ferguson that I highly recommend. But yeah, I think it's, it's thinking beyond undergraduate students and even thinking beyond people who are affiliated with the campus as people who are affected by the campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check out that book. And I was just wondering, what do you think, you know, based on, your extensive uh, research, what do you think it takes to create real institutional change? Like, have you come across any success stories? What have you found? Yeah, that's a great question. 
So one thing, ugh, take black people seriously. That is one thing that is such a problem, right? So it's not only that black people experience suffering, but so often that suffering is taken for granted and disregarded and overlooked. Um, and black people then have to go through all this work to get people to take the harm that has already happened seriously in the first place. And that is also, I would argue, and based on my research, like that's also, people also experience harm trying to get their harm, the harm in the first instance taken seriously, um, right? That's, people shouldn't have to even tell their stories of trauma in order for the harm that they experienced in the first place to be taken seriously, right? So if we just took black suffering and black people's experience and critiques of it seriously in the first instance, and black people didn't have to do all this work to try to get it taken seriously, like that would be some measure of a better life for black people. And that's just after something bad has, like after something terrible has happened and not just instances, but like the everydayness of it, not just the microaggression, but the lack of courses, the lack of funding, the lack of like, yeah, the disrespect, like that's just to get that once it happens addressed better. Also, people need to take seriously like the recommendations that black folk have already put forward. Yeah, that's the demands, that's the committees that, that campuses have called for and have like the consulting that people have called for. Black folk have been offering things, but then folk like are like, actually that we're not gonna do that. And I think if we were more committed to not only taking black people seriously about the harm that's being experienced, but also black people's visions for societal and institutional change, I think we would be way better off. So yeah, that's, that's two things, taking black people seriously about suffering and about visions for change. And I also think one thing that would be better, I hope, is if folk were willing to not deprioritize Blackness when they're thinking about solutions. So for me, it's like so odd that we see anti-Blackness as a problem and we don't see being pro-Black as a solution. Like the solution is to be anti-racist generally, which is great, but I'm like, how can we, like we talk about blackness, I don't know, like we talk about anti-blackness because we think there's something specific about harm against black people, but we're not willing to make, be specific in our support of black people. Like we wanna be against racism generally, but we don't wanna be for black people. And I'm like, what? let's just do that. Like, let's not just wanna be an anti-racist campus, but like, let's aspire to be a black thriving campus. Like, right, is how is this imagined in some ways for our Latinx community. And I think UC Irvine has, is it UC Irvine? Let me look it up real quick because I don't want to give the wrong folk a shout out. Um, black thriving campus. One campus uh, in the UC system already like came out about that. Yeah, UC Irvine. And they say a whole university approach to creating a university culture where black people thrive. And I'm like, that sounds so much more appealing than simply being anti-racist because you can try to be undermining racism, but like, do you really want to see Black people thrive? And are you willing to put that forward? I think that's so much more bold. And I think people would be like, whoa, 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 why pro-Black? And it's like, why not? Like, why, why do we have a problem with being pro-Black? Like, being for Black people. That just seems like a little bit more bold than being against racism. And I would love for, for institutions to imagine what it would take to do that and to actually like be about that instead of just generally being against racism. That's, I could say so much more about that because I've been thinking about it a lot, but that's, that's one hope. And I don't know, okay, I also add, sorry, one more thing. I like, I don't know that that's necessarily gonna be the solution, um, but I think it's a strategy that I want people to, to take up more. And I hope that people would like 
bring with that real practices that make that meaningful because there are ways that people signal black culture let's say but are not being pro-black in any kind of way they're like right so i'm not saying that anytime people are specifically relating to blackness or explicitly relating to blackness that it's a good thing um but i do think people shouldn't shy away from being pro-black in a substantive and even symbolic way. Mm -hmm. So what are your plans for when you complete your PhD program? Yeah, man. Oof. It, it, I've done a lot of work. I'm five years in and, you know, I have less time in front of me than behind me for the PhD completion. But that is just such a feat. I'm, I, it is still it is still some climbing. So it's, it's wild to think about what I'll do on the other end of that. The first thing I'm like, man, I'm going to take a great vacation. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but I will, I will definitely be MIA uh, resting and celebrating um, this massive journey. I um, do intend to um, kind of continue doing research, doing teaching, working with undergrads and whatnot. I, I see myself continuing in the professoriate and so the the idea would be to get a to get a job yeah getting to teach and research the things that i'm that i'm doing now so in some sense the interesting thing about a phd is you're kind of doing now the things that you would do later on if you're a professor right like i'm applying for grants i'm doing research projects i'm mentoring undergrads i'm um, teaching courses it would just be more of the same thing but just uh with much much better pay and job security <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I know everything's going to work out for you because you're doing really amazing work. Well, on that note, is there anything you want to leave the audience with? I want to say stay tuned. I'm excited to be continuing this work and uh, get more writing out. I want to say thank you, Daniela, for this opportunity to talk with you about it. This is my first time, I think, kind of publicly talking about the big picture of my dissertation. I've talked about some case studies and some small pieces, but yeah, I trust you and I appreciate you. And I'm glad to get to share more of my work with you in this venue. So thanks. Thank you. Today, we've been speaking to Caleb Dawson from the Department of Education. We've been talking about his research on anti-Blackness and pro-Black social action in higher education. Thank you again, Caleb, for being on the show. My pleasure. Tune in in two weeks for the next episode of The Graduates.